Well, I am excited to return back to our series of grace in our hearts. And as we get God's grace deep in our hearts, where do we get to show it? We get to show God's grace in our homes. We had to pause because there was some sort of uh, Christmas thing going on that I didn't get to talk about in there. So we are uh, back to our series this morning. If you can recall with me, we're, we're under the, the topic of marriage, and, and I've titled any talk on marriage, we're, we're, I've titled it Better Together. And we need to remember that because we are better together because that is how God designed the marriage relationship to be. Remember a husband and wife coming together in unity, striving towards that goal so that we can create and display to the world a unified picture of who God is so that others might see him as well. And it's the, the two very different people coming together and living together, fueled by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, allowing us to be as one in his image. And so, past, we've looked at the roles of the husband. That is, what is the husband supposed to do? And the wife, what is her role in the home? And so now what we're going to get into are the responsibilities. So as the role, as husbands lead and as wives support their husbands in leading their home, what does that look like? And that's what we're going to be looking at here today. Uh, I discerned really quickly on that I can't, you know I move slower than molasses through stuff like this. So there was no way we were going to get through men and women, so we're just doing the men today. All right, and, and in honor of that, for many of us, I know our church family, this is not the first time that we've ever heard preaching or we've ever been through a passage on biblical marriage. And so I want us to think about a couple who was getting up in their years. As we get older, our hearing goes a little bit. And you know what else goes along with it? I don't remember. Our memory, right? Our memory can start to go with it. And so the couple, they got together and they went to their doctor and they were explaining kind of the problem. And the doctor says, you know what? Something that can be really helpful is start to write yourself little messages. Go get some post-it notes and just write stuff all over the place. Just it, It'll cue you whenever you see your written note. I need this already, just so you know. All right, well, this couple said, all right, good. They go home, and uh, they wanted dessert. They wanted uh, an ice cream, uh, some ice cream. And so the, wife, the husband said, you know what, hon, I'll, I'll go to the kitchen, and I'll get it. Okay, and she said, well, you know what, honey, this might be one of those perfect times for you to write it down. I want some ice cream. He said, it's just ice cream. I can take care of this. It's no problem at all. And so uh, she said, no, but it, it's not just I want ice cream, but with whipped cream on it. Easy. I can do ice cream with whipped cream on it. All right. But no, I want ice cream with whipped cream and strawberries on it. Honey, I've got this. I can do it. I'm good. And so the, the husband disappears into the kitchen. And a good 15 or 20 minutes later, he reappears and, uh, and he, he uh, brings her a nice platter of breakfast. And she goes, honey, I knew you should have written this down. I knew you were going to mess it up. Where's my toast? 
want, want. That's, yeah, why I bring that up is it's good for us to write things down. Why do we need to write things down? So we can remember. Man, I know many of us have heard this before, but we go to God's word continually and often because it's good for us to remember. We need to be encouraged by this. Kids, as you're watching this, if you're a young boy or you're a young man, Write this down because this is what God is calling you to. This is what God invites you to as you grow into the man God would have you to become. And young ladies, write this deeply on your heart because this is who God would have you save yourself for. And so there is something for all of us in God's word always, but this morning as we come to this passage. And so, if you're not there already, I ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, as husbands, we're going to be granted our marching orders this morning. If you have your outlines with you, we'll start to go ahead and fill in. First, we have for us is that God's responsibilities for men within marriage require keyword of require in there. This is what God instructs us in. And there's a lot there for us. God instructs us and requires us this. Husbands, love, love your wives in the manner of Christ, meeting her God-given needs. That's no small order, right? He says, husbands, love your wives in the same exact way that Christ has demonstrated his love. He said, I want you to be that sort of picture to your wife. And in doing so, you will meet the needs that he created her to have uniquely as his daughter. So husbands, love your wives in the manner of Christ. And we already read through this passage. Now what we're going to do is we're going to slowly walk our way through this passage. And I think we really quickly and easily, we could all just quickly say, oh, husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. We're supposed to love our wives like Christ. And yes, and that is exactly what Paul says, but he doesn't stop there. He actually zooms in a little bit. All right. He zooms in and he tells us, he shows us what it looks like as men to really love our wives in the way that God has loved us through Christ. And so there's lots of different kinds of love and portraits of love that we as men are going to uh, demonstrate and live out for our wives as we go through this passage, all right? And so the first kind of love that we are called to is sacrificial love. As husbands, as a husband, I am called to sacrificially love my wife. Well, how do I know that? What does that look like? 
Why on earth would I ever say such a thing as that? Because if there were ever a manual written on marriage by me, myself, and I apart from the Lord, I would never include an idea like sacrificing myself. That sounds awful. But no, it's not. Because this is the love of God that he has for us and that he has bestowed upon us and he wants us he invites us to emulate that, to live that out. I'll say this. He requires us to tap into that very love of his that he's given to us. We have to tap into that so that we're able to do this for our wives. And look with me in verse 25. And this is what's going to help us understand that this love, above all else, is a sacrificial love for our wives. Verse 25 says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And then what did he do? And he gave himself for it. I want to point out here that there's a pattern. One of the, the greatest ways when we study God's word is to, when we come to it, we just observe. Right, We see what's written there. And what stands out to me here is this idea of Christ loved us and Christ gave himself for us. Now, did you know that this little pattern, this Christ loving us and Christ giving himself, this is not the first time that we have that little progression of thought you see, Paul is specifically talking about the marriage relationship, and he's holding it up because everyone can look at the marriage relationship. And again, it's going to uphold this beautiful picture of God, of two imperfect people, but God empowering them to come together. But you know, God gives this tall order not just to husbands and wives. In chapter 5, would you look at verse 1 with me? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, this is in light of who you are in Christ and all the spiritual blessings and heavenly places that Christ has given you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. So there is a broad blanket statement put upon God's children that we are to imitate God. Well, what does that look like? Verse 2. Well, walk in love as Christ has, here's our pattern. Do you see it? Christ has loved us and Christ has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. This instruction to have sacrificial love on behalf of one another, of loving somebody and giving of yourself for them. This is a biblical injunction to all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to all who are identified into his body, to all his children. We are all called to love each other sacrificially. But Paul takes that and he turns up the volume a hundredfold. He amps up the volume as he extols the marriage relationship. Yes, we all love each other. We all give of ourselves to one another. But in no greater place 
do we have it than when it comes into the most intimate relationship of all, that between a husband and a wife. And that's why Paul spends so much more time on this, where he really starts to tease out the ideas of what it looks like to be uh, loving as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for the church. Love gives. When I think about this uh, sacrificial love, one of the virtues that we have to bring out and that has to be present as a husband, as I'm loving, as I'm sacrificing my, myself on behalf of my bride, is the virtue of humility and service. If you want, you can turn there, but we're going to put it up on the screen. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And here I read this passage for us. And here Paul says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, that very thing that we're talking about, right? If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. All right, again, this passage here is broadly applicable to the body of Christ. This is kind of that territory that we were reading in Ephesians 5, verse 1, where everybody imitates God and they walk in love. But I want you to zoom in and take these ideas and apply it straight into your marriage relationship because that same level of sacrifice, that same example of loving and giving heightens in the context of a husband and a wife coming together in the spirit of God. Verse three, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of her, of others. Now, what does that look like? Well, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. If this is the love and care of the body of Christ that we're supposed to have for one another, how much more so than the marriage relationship? You know, we think of this idea of sacrificial love as men. If someone broke into my home in the middle of the night, I would have no qualms whatsoever about valiantly jumping up and standing in harm's way so that nothing would ever happen to my wife or my children in my home. I have no problem whatsoever sacrificing myself for her safety 
for her life, for her protection. And, and I'll say this, culturally speaking, as our culture moves more and more away from the, the plans and the purposes and the ways of God, I think we're actually going to see that less and less and less. Uh, previously, the generation, that's just, that's just common. That's part of what it is to be a man. You, you're going to protect your wife. We have to reclaim that and understand and recall that God does potentially call us to that, where we would physically protect our wife, that we would sacrifice for her in that way. But let me ask a much harder question. Yes, I would sacrifice my life. I would die for her. But will I live for her? What I mean in that question is, will I die to myself? Will I die to the things that I want, my plans, my likes, my wishes, my desires? Will I die to myself so that I might live to and sacrifice myself for her needs? as God has called me to lead her. It's not just a one-time event either. In the words of an old Phillips Craig and Dean song, uh, crucified with Christ, as I go to him for daily dying, I'm amazed. We must go to him to, to, for him to meet our needs so that we can go to her and we can help meet her needs and protect her and point her to Jesus Christ. Let me say this. You will be uncomfortable, men. It's going to hurt. It hurt my Savior, though, when he was in that cross, when he was in the garden. Forget the cross. He didn't even get there yet. He was in the garden knowing he was going to be separated from his father because of me. And he was in that, on, in that garden and he was sweating drops of blood because the pain of heart was so great because of the physical pain he was going to do. He sacrificed himself on my behalf. There are times in our lives, men, that we are called upon to sacrifice, to die to ourselves so we can serve her. I'll also say this, Sacrificial love doesn't guarantee any outcome whatsoever. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for all the world so that all come to him for life and salvation and forgiveness of sins. But the reality exists that many reject the free offer and the free gift of life and love and forgiveness that Jesus Christ has offered them. Many have rejected. And so in the context of our marriage relationship, it doesn't matter. Did, did Christ change his mind? He said, well, not everyone's going to believe, so I don't think I am really going to go through with this whole sacrifice thing. Let's try something else. Let's try an email. Then they'll know how much I love them, right? That's not how he did it. 
he saw it through regardless of the outcome. And sacrificial love does have zero guarantees with this. But let me tell you something about it. As someone who has been wooed by the extravagant grace of Jesus Christ in my life, recognizing what he did for me and how he sacrificed and he loved and he gave himself for me. Man, that drew me to him like no other. I wanted, and I do want, what he offers me. Men, there is kind of just a natural trajectory of when you sacrificially serve your spouse. It is endearing. It is uh, inviting with that. But the outcome is not guaranteed. I think of it this way. Every year I tend, I buy my wife a video game for Christmas. It's like we don't even touch it during the winter. It's only in the winter that we do this. Uh, summers, we're, we're busy doing other things. But it's, it's just something to do in that all right, and so uh, I bought her this video game last year for Christmas, not just a couple weeks ago, but the year before, and it was awesome. But here, this game was created like years before on a different platform than, than the game. It, it was in the same family of games that I thought she was going to love, but it was older. It wasn't as cool. It wasn't as advanced as what she had been playing, and so she put it in, and she started playing. And she's looking around at this, and she's like, this is stupid. I don't want this game. This is, this is boring. I don't have the skills. I don't know what I'm doing. I just, I don't want to do it. And so with very little time put into it, she put that game away and didn't touch it until after over a year later. This year, she put it in, and she, she started playing, and she started asking around, getting some instruction getting some skills. She finally actually, you know, like got a sword that could help, help her do the thing that she was supposed to do. And you know what? She got, she got the information. She got the sword that would let her play the game. Did that make her win the game? Nope. But it certainly gave her the potential and the propensity to one day have victory in that game. And that's what sacrificial love is in our marriage. Honestly, I'm talking to husbands, but this goes both ways, right? This really does. We already know all Christians are supposed to love sacrificially, so wives, you're included in this as well. But men, I'm sticking you to it because we're called out specifically to have this kind of love. It, it doesn't guarantee, it doesn't mean ultimate victory right here and now, but it does give me the propensity and the potential to get to where God has for us, to what God has designed. So this time, I'm spending the most time on this topic because it is the foundation. From this, everything else is going to overflow. We start with sacrificial love. Let me summarize this idea by saying, husbands, when we love our wives sacrificially, we will give her a safe place. So sacrificial love, we give our wives a safe place because is that not what Jesus Christ has done for his church? He has given us a safe place. Number two, 
is that husbands, we love our wives in the manner of Christ, and we meet her God-given needs through sanctifying love. Number two, sanctifying love. In Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 26. He loved and he gave in verse 25 that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. This idea of sanctified living, it's holy living, it's clean living. And this is what God says that he set apart the entire church, the body of Christ. We're supposed to be set apart from the world, from the way things used to be. We're supposed to be set apart for righteousness, for his work, for his purposes with all of that. I encourage you with a passage that applies broadly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Paul talks about this sanctification that's meant to be in our hearts, and he says this, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. In other words, don't be content where you are. There's more. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. We all search, what's God's will in my life? Well, he gives us the broad category. He wants you to live a sanctified, holy, set-apart life for him. He describes that sanctification by saying that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. So Paul uses this extended metaphor of of what God through Christ has done for the church. And for the church, it says that he washed us, he cleansed us, and that one day he will present us to God. But in the meantime, this this idea that he sanctified and cleansed the church with the water by the word, what this implies in terms of marriage love or marital love is that a, a, a sanctifying love is this. Christ died for the church so that the church might be separated unto God for service. Your wife is a part of that very church. Your wife is a part of the body of Christ. And look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, and I've taken a a little liberty here. I've changed it into our context. But look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 with me. If you don't mind putting that up on the screen there. And Paul says this, and we're applying it directly to marriage. For she... That's your wife. For she is God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that she should walk in them. Husbands, we love our wives with a sanctifying love by remembering that above all else, first and foremost, she is God's daughter. And am I encouraging her? Am I providing an environment in which my wife's gifts, talents, and her strengths can be developed 
channeled and exercised according to her calling in the Lord? Am I helping her to be set apart for the Lord? For not only her place in our home, but the body of Christ at large. My wife is set apart for his service first and foremost. She's not just yours. She is his first and foremost above all things. Now let me add a little practical element to this. A sanctified place is a set-apart place. You know, I have special set-apart places all around the house. I have the sanctified place that I put my Mickey Mouse wallet every evening because I know where it's at. It's set apart. It's sanctified. Do you have a sanctified, set-apart, special place in your life, in your day-to-day living for your wife? Sacrificial love said that we give her a safe place. Sanctifying love says that we give our wives a special place. Does your wife know that she is valued? And does she know it through the time that you're giving her? Through your heart actually choosing to set aside other things, the things of the day, to connect your heart with her. Wives, does that make you feel special when your husband can talk to you that way? Yeah. And know that men, as we do this, and this is hard, we have... We have stuff. We're busy. There's so many things that compete for our interests, and we lose sight of it because this list is long. But know that this is the pattern, testimony, and example of Jesus Christ's love for us, his church. We set aside a special place for our wives. Third type of love is a purifying love. Chapter 26, or verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. He has cleansed us from all sin. As we lead our homes, we lead in personal holiness and righteous living before the Lord. We do this as a living example and an encouragement to our wives to invite her along in personal righteousness and holy living between for, uh, before her God. We walk alongside her, encouraging and building her up in her own personal holiness and walk with God. Remember this. We already looked at that pattern of love. Love gives, right? Where else did we see that in this passage? We saw it at the very beginning, right? Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 said, love gives, and that's to the whole body. Do you know what happens in verse 3? Verse 3 says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Not even a hint, not even a drop of that. Holy, righteous living is connected to how we walk in love. There is not, we are not loving others when we're walking in sin. And so we must first walk separately in our own hearts as men, encouraging our wives to do the same. I say this, I live a gospel-saturated life so that she too 
may be encouraged and might be able to live a gospel-saturated life. If we've given her a safe place, we've given her a special place, now we're giving her a spiritually growing place before the Lord. Men, how do we do this? How do we help our wives grow spiritually? Ask questions. Super simple. Ask questions. Hey, honey, how are you doing? How are you growing? What's going on? What challenges are going on in your heart before the Lord today? Ladies, hold on for this one. How can I help? Right? These are tools that can help us men give our wives a spiritually growing place where she is purified. Number four, we love her with purposeful love. This stuff isn't happening on accident. It is purposeful. It is intentional. Look at verse 27. Christ has sanctified and cleansed the church and washed the, washed the church by the water of the word. Verse 27, that. Beautifully encapsulated into that word, that. It's kind of some italicized words that we want to add in because it packs the punch as if Paul is saying, in order that. All right? He is very specific with his language that's going on. You love in all of these ways, and Christ did all of these things for this purpose, in order that he might present her, that is the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Eternity is the ultimate goal for every Christian. It's not the end point, but it's rather the, the, the ultimate and true beginning. It's really our point of origination. It's in Christ, all things come to life. And we get to see that realized whenever we get to eternity. And one day, Christ will present his church to himself. I'm going to say this. Marriage is temporary in that it serves its purpose of reflecting God in the world while we're here on this earth. Marriage is an institution that God has given to display himself here on this earth. Marriage is permanent here in this earth. But why? Look at Matthew chapter 22. I don't want to get too deep into all of this, but there's, there is an idea present. In Matthew chapter 22, towards the end of the chapter, they're, they're questioning Christ. And, the, and uh, you know, the, the woman, uh, she doesn't have any children, and so she goes to the next kinsman redeemer, no children, no children, no children, until everyone's died, and then she's dead. And there's like seven husbands later into all of that. And they're going, well, in the resurrection, Lord, whose husband, or who, who will be her husband? And Christ looks at them, and he goes, you guys, you guys are missing the boat here. You're, you're, not, you're not understanding this properly. Go ahead and put it up on the, on the screen there, Christopher. He says, you err. You're missing the very power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. The idea is that 
our hearts, and it's hard. I mean, I've, I, I might be taking a security blanket away from you by, by putting out there the idea that in eternity, the marriage relationship will not necessarily be there. Well, why? I, I mean, I, I want it. I need it. I, I, I need that. Imagine your needs so perfectly met and consumed in the Lord Jesus Christ himself, where you are one with him. That's the whole point of marriage anyway, right? And we're going to be in the reality of that. And so I am not diminishing marriage for any second. But what I am doing is I am putting it in its rightful place. Let's not get so blinded that all we can see is the here and now. Your marriage is on purpose, and we are locked and loaded towards the future hope that we have one day of being in the physical presence of Jesus Christ himself. Marriage is temporary in that it serves its purpose of reflecting God in the world while here on this earth. But... At death do us part, the marriage is now over, but she is not. If she dies, she is not over. She is more alive than ever. As husbands, we must have a laser-focused, eternal perspective of helping point our wives toward Jesus Christ and her walk with him above all else, always living in light of eternity. Brothers, we have the joy of owning the smallest piece of this puzzle and glimpse of the glories to come that await both you but her. We should be living hope-saturated lives, yielding hope-saturated homes that allow our wives to flourish under the ultimate hope of Jesus Christ. This is the epitome of purposeful living. The hope of God has to live so consumingly in us and that we lock and load our purposes on helping our wives. Ultimately, this is going to filter down to our children as well. But this hope-saturated living. I am a huge fan of biblical counseling and spend a lot of time reading and studying in that world. And as a counselor, as one who comes alongside to comfort and equip others, one of the greatest things we need in any situation or circumstance where we're struggling and we need counsel, above all else, you know that we need hope. We need hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ, but there's a disconnect of between what I see around me and what I know to be true, and how do we do this? Husbands, practically speaking, let me offer this encouragement, and I'm offering it to myself as well. Let us infuse hope into our homes, not merely inform hope hope. Have you ever been with someone before? Maybe you go uh, for, for a counselor. Maybe you, you need some help when you go. And there's an indifference, there's a difference between someone informing. Say you're having a conversation with somebody and uh, you're struggling. Well, you know what you ought to do 
how's that, how's that feel? You know, you, your heart is struggling and, and you, you're opening up to them. And when they come in and they come at you, you know you're wrong and this is what you ought to do. You know what? I'll, I'll speak for my own heart. My own heart shrivels with that. I'm, I'm putting up a wall. I'm shutting down. Get out of here. I'm done. All right? There's no hope coming on. Or when we approach and we're just informing, you know what you ought to do. Or this. You just need to trust God more. Or you need to come. And we come at somebody. Well, that's very different than what Pastor Kern has been encouraging us with from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, right? We have the God of all comfort who comforts us. Do you remember that, that word picture that's present in comforting us so that we can comfort others? It's that idea of coming alongside, coming alongside and giving comfort. And Husbands, that's what we have the opportunity to do. I'm not coming at my wife. Honey, you, you just need to trust the Lord more. Mm, I've tried it before, by the way. Does not end well, ever, for her heart or mine. But we come alongside. We infuse hope. Meaning, you know, you help, help them see. Again, ask questions. All right, don't just, it's kind of the idea of show, don't tell. Show, don't tell. Well, what do I mean by that? Explore signs of Christ on the move. How do you see God working in your life right now? How do you see God giving you victory? My goodness, if we all start having these conversations freely and frequently, how much more so that can infuse hope and it keeps us locked and loaded. Remember, we have ultimate hope in Jesus Christ for that purpose, keeping eternity in mind. So this is purposeful love. When we love purposely with eternity in mind, we give our wives a hopeful place, a safe place, a special place, a spiritually growing place, a hopeful place. Next kind of love is this. It is personal love. Personal love. Look at verse 28. So husbands might ought to love their own wives how? As their own bodies. I don't like, is that in your Bible? I didn't put that there. Why is that there? Husbands love their wives as their own bodies. How do we do that? Well, I don't have to know or question what I like, what I dislike. I know pretty well. I don't have to try. I, I, just, I know I am not a fan of Brussels sprouts, just not. So I'm not going to eat it, okay? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. There's a lot of nuggets here that we could explore. But 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them. That would be their wives. Dwell with them with understanding. That's what we're looking at here. When we dwell with our wives with understanding, that's knowing her. Knowing her likes, her desires, her struggles, her strengths, her weaknesses. We tap into this idea of personal love when we love ourselves, but do we know our wives well enough that we can love her in that way? A husband and wife, they went to a, a marriage seminar on communication. 
And, the, and the, the pastor was talking about this very thing about communicating with one another. And he said, you know, you ought to know what your wife's favorite flowers are. And the husband, kind of excited, he leans over and he goes, it's Pillsbury, right? Wah, wah. No. <laughs> if you like to bake, that's really good. That is good. Uh, but uh, you have to know, we, God invites us to know that is the personal, intimate nature that God has with us, much less lived out in the marriage relationship. And this personal love gives your wife an intentional place. All right? Show her that you value her. Show her that you honor her by honoring her needs, her wishes, her wants, her preferences. It doesn't have to be all the time. But enough that she knows she's got, she feels loved in a personal way by you. One of my favorite examples of this is, is even I, I had to bear in mind the differences between me and my wife. When I proposed, you know, my personality, I'm out here, right? That, that's just kind of me. When it came to proposing, I kind of wanted one of those flash mob scenarios where there's like hundreds of people involved and like everyone's singing and dancing and they're just like involved and it's all a surprise to every to only. Everyone is in on it. But you know what? Y'all have met my wife. You know her. She hates being the center of attention. Honey, I'm sorry I'm making you the center of attention right now even. She doesn't like to be the center of attention. And so even when I proposed to her, I had to do it in a way that would speak love to her. And so I didn't even get down on one knee because it would have drawn attention to her as we were in a very public place whenever I proposed to her. That's just a silly little way, but it's a vehicle to demonstrate my love and my honor for her in a way that she can receive it in a way that is special to her. Men, let's give our wives an intentional place. Next is a nourishing love. Verse 29, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes it. Uh, this idea of nourishing, this word is only used twice in the entirety of Scripture. Do you know where the other place this word nourish is used? Just across the page. Chapter 6, verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The, the word that is the same that is, is there is bring them up. All right, so nourishing and bringing them up. The idea in the context, it, it has the idea, you know, with because kids are in focus in chapter 6, that has the... Uh, the, the more training because children are of you. But here it's, it's different because it's in the marriage relationship. So the idea that's brought out is, is really the concept of feeding. How do we nourish our bodies? With food, all right? We feed. Husbands, are we feeding our wives? Yes, we provide food on the table, but there's so much more than that. Are we providing spiritual food? Are we providing emotional food? as God has created her with those same needs that, newsflash, we also have at the same time. Let me say this, godly women, women in general, 
are just sacrificial in and of themselves. Godly women kick game up even more so. Godly women are there serving, they're giving, and they're ministering, and they're pouring out to others all the time. They spend themselves and they use themselves up in their marriage for their children, for their children's uh, friends, for the church. They're pouring themselves out constantly. Yes, it is between your wife and the Lord for the Lord to fill her, but God gave her you to pour into her. And as you pour into her, she can pour out into the world. This is part of the beauty of our ministry in our home. This place, we offer her the supply. Last but not least, we have cherishing love. He goes on, nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Here we could look at 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7, but we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own child. The idea present in that is, is it kind of gives you the, the picture of a chick, or of a hen nursing and cherishing her eggs. What does she do? She sits on those eggs and incubates them, Right? All right, she cherishes the egg. It means to heat or soften by heat, to make warm by incubation, and hence to cherish or nourish. These are qualities that are easily present in a woman, but God, you want me to be this? I think not. Except this is what he calls us to, and he specifically calls us out to cherish. And there's the tenderness that's present in this kind of love. With this, I say, this kind of love, we need to offer our wives a gentle place. As men, we're categorically broad paintbrush. We can work through anger really easy. But the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so we must be reminded, humbled to uh, be gentle in how we approach our wives, our homes, our families with all of that. Practical points. How do you cherish her? Number one, communicate with her. We talked about that, right? Talk to her and listen. A husband read an article to his wife about how women use 30,000 words a day to a man's 15,000 words a day. When the wife goes, well, that's because we have to repeat everything to the men. The husband turned to his wife and said, huh? Right? You just, there, there's a picture that plays itself out in, in our homes all the time. Communicate with her, lighten her load, and understand her. Pray with her, consider her, listen to her. If you don't mind putting up the last slide here, Christopher, what you're going to see is just some, some photos that kind of summarize all of these different kinds of love. And what I want us to do here is this. I'm going to close with some paraphrased thoughts of my own and some other commentators, that uh, uh, Tim being one of them here. Look at these kinds of love that God calls us to and reflect in your own heart. So resolve to live for her, 
to sacrifice all you've got for her good. Love her with a sanctifying love that is committed to setting her apart for the greater purpose God has for her. Love her with a purifying love that helps her put sin to death and come alive to righteousness. Love her with a love that is shaped by the gospel and whose content is the gospel. Love her with a purposeful love that fixes in your mind and heart the great day when she will be all that God has created her to be. Will you even recognize her in that day for all of her splendor, for all of her perfection? She will be perfect then, unblemished by even the smallest sin, undefiled by even the tiniest trace of depravity. She will be beautiful and radiant and glorious beyond belief. Christ awaits the day when he will present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or without wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That is his great goal and he longs for that day. Shouldn't we then fix in our minds the image of us preventing, presenting our wives to Christ? Here's the wife that you entrusted to me. Isn't she radiant? Isn't she beautiful? I've loved her. I've sacrificed for her. I've washed her with the word of your gospel. I've seen her grow in righteousness and holiness. And now I present her to you. What an honor and what a blessing that God has chosen you to accompany her to that place, to that day. Men, we've been given our marching orders. Let's go. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for the power and the majesty of your word. Father, thank you that there's, there's no other God like you who would love us in such a way. You loved us and you gave yourself for us. Father, thank you for the testimony of Christ and that ultimate example that, that your word continually points us back to. And Father, as I think about these different kinds of love and how they're all wrapped up and invested in you, Father, my own heart is, is a bit overwhelmed at my own in, insufficiencies and shortcomings, Father, because I recognize, and I think every man here, Father, we recognize where we fall short in this. But Father, might it be your hope, your grace that meets us where we are, and that you continue to work in our lives. Set us free from ourselves, Father. But continue to keep hope aflame in our hearts so that we can aflame that in the hearts of our wives and in our homes. Father, I pray for every marriage represented here in this room this morning. Father, make us more and more the passionate lovers that Christ is for us. Father, help us love our wives like you have loved us. The glory is yours, Father. In Christ's name we pray, amen.